Welcome to the Shambhala Sunday Gatherings podcast. Each week, we invite a guest presenter from the Shambhala community to talk about what is meaningful to them or to share a brief Dharma talk. These explorations range from the reality of impermanence, death, and the unknown to how we express and work with joy, contentment, and fearlessness in our daily lives. Presenters offer a guided meditation or contemplation practice and invite reflections, comments, and questions from participants about the poignancy and complexity of our shared journey on planet Earth. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shambhala Sunday Gathering podcast. And welcome to Shambhala Sunday Gatherings. My name is Tara Templin. I'm a member of Shambhala Global Services and the Sunday Gatherings team. And it's my pleasure to be your host for today's uh, gathering. As part of Sunday Gatherings, each week we invite a guest speaker to lead us in a community practice and to talk about something that is meaningful to them or to present a brief Dharma teaching. And now at this time, it's my pleasure to introduce Janet Bronstein and Fred Meyer. Janet Bronstein, who I'm, I'm almost positive all of you are somewhat familiar with, but she is a longtime Shambhala Sangha member and a teacher. She's one of the founders of the Birmingham, Alabama Shambhala Center in 1998, and has served as the Shastri in that community since 2016. She's a member of the Shambhala Process Team and has worked in the areas of data management and analysis and practice and education with the team. She holds a PhD in anthropology and is a semi-retired from a career conducting research on healthcare systems and teaching about ethics and public health. This is a very busy lady. Uh, Frederick Meyer is a lifelong Shambhala practitioner. His first interest in Dharma and in the Shambhala teachings was as a participant in Sun Camp and he has followed the Shambhala path through Rigdon Abhisheka. Frederick has been at various times a volunteer, contractor, consultant, staff member, and project lead for numerous centers and projects in Shambhala throughout the past 15 years. Frederick works as a web developer and lives in New Orleans with his wife, Clara, their daughter, Anna, and their dog, Lucy. And my experience with Fred has been that he is so steeped in Shambhala. I experience him as so gentle and kind. And so it's such a, it's such a pleasure, Fred and Janet, to have you joining us today. So I'll, I'll pass it over now to Janet. Thank you so much, Tara. But I really wanted to start um, by telling you where the title of this session came from. We're calling it Glimpsing Enlightened Society in Genuine Conversations. And that notion of glimpsing enlightened society is not something I at least came into the conversations project thinking about. Um, Fred is going to talk about the history of this project. And we were thinking about a lot of things. That one didn't really stick in my mind. But it is so interesting when um, you participate, participating in these conversations, and uh, I read a lot of the transcripts of the recordings of the conversations, how often people will spontaneous, 
spontaneously say, oh, this is enlightened society, or oh, this is Shambhala, just as a, as a spontaneous observation of what's happening at that moment in the conversation. Um, so that's what inspired us to call this session Glimpsing Enlightened Society. And um, since all Sunday gatherings should have a little bit of uh, meditation, contemplation practice, I'd like to offer just a brief, really it's a visualization practice uh, around Enlightened Society. So um, just come present. seat or on your porch in your environment with a computer screen or a phone screen in front of you eyes open just take in what you see on the screen as though it were a colorful mosaic, just a set of visual images, a single object, a single visual object, maybe a square or multiple squares. We see that all the time or we used to on TV. So a lot of times when we have the word society, we think of society as an object like this, right? Maybe multicolored, maybe moving, maybe still, but separate from us. And if you let that notion of society as separate pervade this visual field, you might notice that we have reactions to society as an object. Um, we don't, perhaps we want to push society away. Society is out to get me. I have to attack society. I need to be away from society uh, as though it were a thing. Or perhaps our habitual reaction to society is I want in. How do I get in? Sort of a grasping. Or perhaps our action, I've, I've noticed coming out of the lockdown of the pandemic that society as an object seems a little uh, overwhelming. And I, I'm tempted to just kind of block it out, <laughs> go back in my house and my, in my room and not look at society. So as an object, society can have all of those, uh, we can have all of those reactions. So take a moment and feel that. And now let that sense of society as an object relax and look at the screen again and just scan it and look at all the faces or in some case, names, pictures. 
and the environment that those uh, faces and torsos are in. Um, let's see. The windows, Sherbs has a window, so she's looking out. Catherine has two people in her screen and a beautiful golden wall. Just let your eyes roam onto all of the faces and notice that these are actually individuals. These are actually people. They're not an object. They're a collection of people. Um, and they are people just like you, just like me, each one of us. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? The, the life force and the history and the present moment and what they had in their last meal or what they're going to eat next is all in there in this, uh, in those windows. And notice one more thing that as we're all gazing at all of these windows, we're actually all in a kind of relationship with each other, a visual relationship. So I'm in relationship with these, I think it's 25 people. And each of these 25 people is in a relationship with 25 people. So we can begin to let our minds absorb the notion that this society thing that our label could point to is really pointing to what's a, a group of people and a web of relationships, which means it's always changing and it has a certain quality and texture to it and it's not solid. In this sense of ourselves as individuals bound in a, in a web of relationships, we can think a little bit about um, how we use the word enlightened. Also, a lot of times, maybe because it's a word and we're used to what words do in language, enlightened also has kind of uh, an objectified quality to it. So it's like a destination. Am I there yet? Am I enlightened yet? <laughs> How much longer? Oh no, I got stuck in the mud. I'm not going there fast enough. Uh, so we could, you know, enlightenment as a destination, enlightened as a destination. Or sometimes we think about enlightened as a characteristic of a person, let's say. So uh, let's see, who in here is 90% enlightened or 20% enlightened? Or <laughs> Sue raises her hand or, you know, 1%. Uh, but just, okay, touch into that notion of enlightened as an object. And now let's shift our view and think of enlightened as an adjective that's describing the web of relationships that we're experiencing. 
it's not a thing, it's a quality. And what might that quality be like? We could even say, what would it feel like? Would it feel open, energized, breezy, fluid, unpredictable, have the quality of awake? Let's rest with that just for a second. So I just wanted to get us started by pointing to what, um, you know, what, how enlightened society could be glimpsed in conversation with that open fluid view of what society and enlightened might be. Thank you. Um, Fred, will you move us back to earth? <laughs> Thanks, Janet. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, yeah, so I'm going to say a little bit about Shambhala community conversations, just kind of a very quick history to sort of bring us up to the um, the point where uh, where our panelists are going to be speaking from. And the very, the Cliffs Notes version is um, a team of mostly process team members started Shambhala community conversations in the latter part of last year. And you know, we were um, really feeling the pain of division in Shambhala and feeling, speaking personally, I was and maybe am feeling this fear that, you know, maybe our differences are not reconcilable, but if we can't even talk, it just makes it so much worse. It's like, um, it adds a layer of, there's just no even, there's not even a ground to work from. And so that was on the, on the kind of heavy side, that was a lot of, of um, the energy. And on the light side, there was a lot of hope and inspiration that, you know, we have these practices and these teachings together and, you know, we should be able to really meet as human beings. You know that should be possible. You know, no matter no matter how painful it is, no matter how differently we see the world, you know, we should be able to really connect as human beings. And so we worked really hard. Um, we're we're um, a couple different teams. We have about six or seven people who do it, uh, administration work on on Shambhal community conversations, and we have this really wonderful group of something like between twenty and 50, depending on how you count facilitators who have been actually um, hosting the meetings. And all of us are training in um, a shared form that provides a container for each of these community conversations. And we're continually working on the form itself and, and revising the form and piling in lessons that we learn from each and every conversation. So it's been really good work. And we've sort of felt that we're kind of walking with the current in a way. It's like when we need something when we need to get a meeting with somebody it kind of happens and you know when we need um somebody who knows how to use email software that person sort of materializes so it's been really um 
auspicious in some ways to this point. And I just want to close by reading a few quotes that start to, I think, bridge that kind of project history that I sketched with what Janet was leading us through earlier. And these are all quotes from participants in Shambhala community conversations over the past three to four months. Um, just talking about what the experience, uh, you know, talking from within it about what the experience has been like for them. So I'm gonna read three quotes. Number one is, I felt a deep sense of being Shambhala. Number two is, the connection that I feel is quite magical and I'm thinking, this is Shambhala in a way. This, what we're doing, seems like the real Shambhala to me. And the last one is, this process itself is enlightened society, painful and groundless as it is. So with that, um, we should be up to speed in terms of our wonderful panelists. So um, I'm going to um, just open it up uh, to those four panelists, Ron, Katrin, Jude, and, and Alex. So to start with um, panelists, would you like to start by maybe sharing a memorable personal experience from a Shambhala community conversation that you were part of? And we can maybe start with Ron and however many people would like to share. Thanks, Fred. Good afternoon, everyone. It is great to see you all here. And uh, thank you, Janet, for uh, helping us recognize the relationship that we're in right now. And I think for me, <clears throat> I was really attracted to facilitating in the uh, belonging conversation, because that was, I think, the first um, topic that was uh, suggested and I found that, wow, this whole idea of relationship and belonging um, is so important to me and particularly with regard to the society in which we are. Um, and somehow different <clears throat> than some of the circles of uh, uh, conversation I've had in the past where there's been um, quite a few rules about how to behave in the circle and things like that. And this was refreshing to me. Um, I don't have a particular example from the conversation I'm thinking of that I hosted with Jude, um, but I did appreciate um, the presence and uh, the kindness of people who attended and the fact that uh, taking time out to come and really meet each other um, in a place of uh, kindness and care uh, is what really struck me. Um, yeah. Alex, how about, did you, what was your experience like? Yeah, I totally can relate to that. Um, Actually, I was just thinking that one of the memorable experiences, actually the people I'm working with, just I've never met before and we're just working synchronously on uh, like uh, a well-oiled machine. <laughs> but one of the uh, 
big moments that I do remember, um, I can talk about this later um, in terms of what is enlightened society. And thank you, Janet, for that wonderful introduction. Um, having a session where people came in with very strong opposing views and really having their heels dug in sand. And I had a, oh, sugar moment. Like, oh, this is not gonna end well. <laughs> but actually it ended very well where everybody in the room was exchanging emails, supporting each other, and had this sense of unconditional friendliness, which I did not expect when, in the beginning. I just had to just like note my anxiety and just let it ride and let things unfold. And, the, and like a lotus flower, it was quite beautiful to watch and experience. Um, Jude, how about you? Um, I'm gonna come off that one since I think that's the thing we all feared because there has been so much pain and so much sense of othering, being othered and othering others. Um, I think for me going into the conversation, you know, the first ones was something bad could happen where somebody, there's too much difference. It's like um, Fred was saying the fear and uh, so similar to what you were saying, Alex, that there was uh, a session where at the beginning someone introduced themselves and there was clearly a lot of, uh, I'm here to make my point known. And um, I'm not really here to listen, but I'm, she didn't say that, but that was implied. And then we broke into small groups and in fact, in this case, it was a really small group. So there was just dyads, it was just two people. And accidentally, this person was paired with someone who had a very different view. Um, and I was a little, uh -oh, what's gonna happen there? But I, I knew somehow it would be good. And, and when they came back, it was so interesting because they still disagreed wasn't like some miracle had happened where they suddenly, but the quality of the space around there, how they expressed their experience, clearly something had shifted for both of them. Um, and I thought, yeah, that's it. We have differences and we can, um, we can share a community together, even with, with difference. So that really was inspiring to me. Um, yeah, and Catherine. Yeah, sorry. So <laughs> thank you, everyone. I, I was saying that I'm not sure I can say more than you said, because this was really strong recognition amongst all of us when we started that um, we had this fear that we were going to, to be in an arena of uh, difficult uh, moments and actually uh, we all experienced this kind of uh, opening of the space that was um, so good to be like a family reunion and um, for all of us I remember uh, we started around Christmas so now it's almost uh, four or five months <laughs> it's just the beginning but uh, we have experienced tremendous gentleness and uh, kindness and uh, mostly willingness to talk 
And uh, so it, uh, as Fred said, I mean, uh, not being able to talk was the main problem in our community. And this opportunity to come together has been really a big opening. And uh, what I remember also is that, um, I mean, in France, now I'm leading a conversation in French, in France, <laughs> with uh, other facilitators. And we also have the mix of new people, because during this uh, long uh, crisis of now three years, a lot of new people have come in our groups and centers. And then... <laughs> the old people talk about the crisis and then the new members say, what crisis? <laughs> and then there is this sense, a message almost to the old members like, well, you have, we have to be now, we have to be in the now, you know, all these people, they want to move ahead. They're not so interested by our crisis and what happened. So that was also a strong message. I'm sort of curious, um, you know, in in these moments that that have, you know, had this quality, um, maybe of people being able to to meet, um, you know, in a in the same way. Um, I'm curious if if anything stands out for you about sort of how that space is is held or you know what it is that makes a space like that possible as opposed to you know I'm sitting down with somebody across from me on the subway and talking politics or something like that you know it, what what in, in your experience really stands out as as things that help you know a space hold the people in it and you know in the way we're we're talking about Anybody who'd like to start, just calling yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I somehow, I have no idea how I got involved in this to begin with, but somehow I got involved. And from the beginning, the amount of time that was spent trying to create a, a structure that would work was, uh, it, it was endless. <laughs> it's like, you design this and then think about that and then, you know, puzzle it again and try to figure, and I kept thinking, come on, let's just try it. Let's just do it. But it was really such a thoughtful process of what will make this work. Um, and so then when we actually did it, it worked. <laughs> and uh, I think the elements, a few of the elements for me um, for any of you who haven't been part of the conversations, but that we would start with something called heart opening. And that was really important that it wasn't just let's all sit together, but actually a guided process of opening our hearts to each other. So I think that made a huge difference. Um, I think we also... Um, often in them, they go into the small groups sooner than later. And, and that also creates some kind of um, more intimacy that I think is, has really made a big difference than when people come back. Um, they've had a more intimate experience that helps soften everything. But the one I love is, uh, that after something happens, like a small group or a larger group, 
the invitation is to is to just stop and have silence and everybody to let whatever they experience land. And just that time to experience what you've experienced and then to share it in the chat or wherever. Um, and I've started bringing these things into meetings that I'm part of because I just think they, they were so good, you know. Um, any kind of meeting I have at my Shambhala Center in Philadelphia. These elements were really, I think, to me, key. Uh, and then the content was also good. That's all. Anyone else? Anyone else? What made it work for you? For me, the uh, <clears throat> clarity of purpose was important overall. That. Uh, you know, this, that we weren't sitting down to try and solve anything particularly or negotiate anything or, um, you know, that it really was clear that we were giving each other this opportunity to be with one another. And, um, and I think the many things you mentioned, Jude, that then made that a place, a welcoming place and helped us land, help us um, start with being grounded in that space. So it provided the container uh, for it, but it was really clear that we were meeting on even ground and, and we were totally open to uh, differences of opinions. And, and I'm sure most of us expected it, but in a way that was one of listening uh, as much as as speaking and and really hearing each other, so uh, uh, that was that that purpose was clear to me. That made it a little bit different than other types of uh, meetings or gatherings. Can I ask a, a sort of a follow up question to any of um, our facilitators? It's one of the things we've been struck with on the process team in general is the extraordinary experience of being thrown into conversation over Zoom with people who we didn't know and never would have met probably. Um, that, you know, we can, we can complain about Zoom, but it is also pretty extraordinary that we just put out an invitation and a random group of people from anywhere in the world <laughs> manifest. And since often, often they don't know each other, some of our usual kind of projections about what this or that person might be thinking, we can't hold on to them. And I wonder if there's a quality of, of that kind of the randomness of who's there and the flatness of the Zoom environment that shifts something in the conversations. Or not. <laughs> well, I could start, maybe approach that. That quality of um, being really engaged with deep list um, <clears throat> without the baggage of storylines attached to the people that we already know or have had experience with or our personal opinions about people because whether we like them or not or neutral that happens in the local sangha um, so there's less drama and just more intent and listening and caring i would say is this show 
So because we have about 15 minutes in the in the panel part, um, I do have some more questions that I'd, I'd love to ask, but I also want to open it up to anybody who's here um, with any questions for our, our facilitators, our panelists, um, about you know these conversations and you know what they say about um, you know how to be you know together in a nice way and you know maybe what we can bring bring into our marriage or our center or uh, you know anything like that maybe meetings among our center leadership so if there's any questions um, I'd love to um, hear them on behalf of our panelists and and I have some some additional ones as well so I see Eric has a, a question so we all also have a chat from uh, kit at some point uh, would be also good to hear from any one of us who have not hosted Nolt hosted I assume you mean not right Chris yeah not hosted just if I, I noticed on the call, there seemed to be mostly people who have hosted, but I thought there were some who were not. So I'd like to hear from those participants to flesh out the experience, uh, not simply from the hosting point of view, though I've appreciated these remarks also. But actually this question came from Yuna. She wants to hear from participants, if there are any. There are, but we won't out them. They can out themselves. Yeah, and uh, Eric, I can, I can see if you'd like to ask your question. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> um, I've been doing outreach for these conversations for a, a little while. <clears throat> and I'm wondering kind of how we can get more people to come. Um, I know that Shambhala Online is gonna be sending out, or, or actually I'm not, Janet, who is sending out this email to 10,000 people? It's out this morning. It's out? Mm-hmm. How's the, re how's the response? Well, it's only been out for about two hours, Eric. <laughs> but I think that is a good question that, I, you know, we could really contemplate with people about um, if you hadn't heard about these conversations before, what would bring your attention to them? It's a good, good question. Takers, too. Yeah, I'll just, <laughs> it's funny because one of the things that I, I share that concern and that my local center, many, many people at my local center have not participated because they're just not plugged in to what's happening. I don't know, they don't read their emails from international or whatever. Um, so I've been wanting to do a local one. So a belonging conversation from my local center and <laughs> It's funny because I'm very nervous about it. I'm not nervous about a bunch of strangers showing up and that I could have that, you know, facilitate that conversation with them. But, and it's sort of funny because it also, this also speaks to um, another topic that we touched on that when I'm in a meeting with my local people, there's so much of, oh, maybe we could get that person to do that. and we should recruit so-and-so and why didn't so-and-so show up to the last meet? There's so much business that gets in the way. Whereas when it's random people from all over the world that you don't have that. So in addition to not having preconceptions, you don't have agendas. And so um, I think that's part of the power of the 
conversations as we've been having them. And if we try to bring them into local or regional contexts, which I think would be very good, uh, we all have a lot of history with the people that we've been with. And how do we, do we have enough built into the conversations that will mitigate that, that issue? So, um, but I do think that's one way, Eric, that we can start to drill down, as I say. Thank you. I see Herb's hand there. Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I just was wondering everybody's perspective as a participant in these community conversations. Um, the ones that resonated with me is when um, at a local sangha, we as the sangha were able to relate from the ground of basic goodness and leave spaciousness for all points of view to be heard without judgment because some earlier ones I felt like it was just whoever talked the loudest and it was just a bunch of opinions back and forth and I'm right and you're wrong so I don't know if anybody has felt that too just curious to what other people say that it just it, it 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 comes in with your with no agenda like they said no agenda and just relating from the ground of basic goodness and just allowing for everything and don't have to agree with everything just allowing space to be heard and for for the for um, other people to listen to you so anybody want to um, talk about that or am I kind of stating the obvious <laughs> no I, I think. Um... Oh, I'm sorry, Katrine, did you have? Thank you, Ron. Uh, we haven't mentioned that our conversations have topics because it's not just uh, about speaking whatever you want to, to say. It's also uh, trying to um, investigate together, like um, making one mind to investigate a, a subject or a theme that is uh, central to what's happening in Shambhala. So that is also a component, very strong component of um, uh, enlightened society, of making, making society together. It's not just exchanging uh, our state of mind. So Ron, maybe you want to say more on that? <clears throat> I was going to say that it does seem like this initiative arose at just the right time. So um, I think when, Rainbow, when you were talking about um, the, really the quality of these uh, conversations, to me, it's, um, that's what's so pivotal. And, and it seems like, um, I know here I'm in Halifax and um, I was experiencing the, partly because of the uh, pandemic, but um, sort of a, a distance, you know, that I wasn't seeing people. And uh, so this opportunity to come together, but to come together in this way that feels different to me. It just feels um, op more open, uh, open-hearted and genuine um, and a real sense of, uh, caring and and then as Katrine said there are topics so that now people are you know selecting and um, what their where their interest lies and what they would like to engage with other people about so it's very timely thank you I 
I can go ahead and read a couple comments in the chat or Janet, Fred, maybe you'd like to do that. Um, actually, I was going to make a comment about the topics that um, we, uh, there's really a trajectory of topics and we started with the topic of feeling like we belong or don't belong in Shambhala. Um, we added a topic on ideas about governance in Shambhala. We added a topic about practice and study paths and divergence. Now we're moving into more detail around governance and um, starting the week after, I guess in two weeks, we're gonna start a set of conversations about the code of conduct and responding to conduct. So I think we're, um, we're approaching more and more potentially tender topics um, with this sense of experience that, oh, we can talk to each other, so now we can move even deeper. And something we really haven't mentioned, but it's an important part of our conversations, is that we record the group conversation part and transcribe it and use um, that material to um, what we call harvest notes, which is really kind of harvesting the insights of the group, or as Katrine, you said, coming to one mind about a topic, which I think one mind implies consensus, which there's not. But um, just say when you read people's conversations about what it's like to hold a practice path that somebody else in your community doesn't hold and how can that be held together? There's so much that we can learn about Shambhala by listening to these conversations. And so we all have an opportunity to do that by um, taking, we what we've been doing is posting the harvests of these conversations on the process team website so people can see. Uh, so that's kind of like a group learning. You don't even have to have been there to have to learn something from the conversation. And um, Tara, I see Susan's hand up there. Maybe she wants to speak. So I've been participating in, in some of the conversations and have really enjoyed them. Um, and partially because we can't have a conversation in the local groups. And so for me, figuring out what it is that you did to create the container is important because that's what we need to bring into the centers. Um, and some of the points that have already been mentioned, um, but one of them seems to be that we are gathering data rather than making decisions. Um, that we are in a learning mode. Um, and to me, that's sort of where we are with the right use of power and the gender courses. We are learning, doing an awful lot of learning and forgiving, um, forgiving ourselves at the same time, rather than, okay, what are we going to do about it? Um, so I feel like the learning part of it and that, you know, Janet talked about the harvesting. Well, so we are listening. Um, our purpose is not to make a decision. Um, and, I, and 
I hope that we can figure out some of the how to use some of the tools in our local groups because the the being able to talk to somebody that you don't know helps. But I really think we need to figure out how to you know what are some of the principles. But I think the fact that we are data gathering and learning is an important one. Thank you, Susan. That's that's beautifully said. Oh, Alex, good. Yeah. I think that <clears throat> learning process, I remember when this began, we didn't know what we were doing. And so it was very organic. And I think the organic quality to it led to its authenticity and its genuine authentic presence, you know. So there's much, now it's time to harvest. But we are getting braver. <laughs> <laughs> Can I speak? Oh, okay. Hello, everybody. So um, I've done a lot of different uh, kinds of conversations over the last couple of years, and it does seem like it's uh, timely the way this is being presented now. And what um, what I would I'm curious just to know in your different groups, do you find that it's sort of equally represented? of the different points of view. So our last conversation that we had was, um, say, at least 90% people who were kind of disaffected from the stockpile. And I was disappointed that there weren't more people uh, from the other side who to have to engage in this conversation. Now, the feeling that was kind of surprising to me. I was in a breakout group, I was with like four or five people who were Acharyas who had resigned. And the feeling was so much of uh, wanting to be with friends, you know. People have been friends for, you know, 20 and 30 years doing the Shambhala path. And that like, really the feeling was, you know, like just, you just want to, be able to be friends, you know. <laughs> so it was uh, it was very touching and good. And I'm just wondering if it's like uh, it was just an anomaly that it was so sort of one sided in the conversation that I was in, or if, if it's pretty balanced in your experience of the different conversations. Yeah. yeah. Would anybody like to comment? And then I, I have one last question because we're, we're getting long time. Like to weigh in? Um, yeah, I'll just say, Herb, thank you. Yeah, I, I have noticed in the conversations that um, it seems to be a middle group that's showing up. So maybe the people who are very far in one end are not showing up, they've decided. But then there are people who are very far on the other end who are not seeing, they're gone. And so they're not represented either which is sort of interesting, but that, that most of the people who come are in some kind of middle world that, again, will have differences um, and are still wanting to, uh, wanting to be friends. Yeah, that's actually a great way to put it. They're wanting and willing to be friends, uh, longing to have that, sense of community that they had. And, and it is, yeah, and the sense of loss of that um, 
has brings them there. I don't know if that resonates with what you're talking about. Thank you. Would anybody like to, um, Ron or uh, Alex or Katrin, like to add on to that? Uh, or I have one one last question for all of you. Okay. So yeah, this kind of goes back to, to Susan's point and Susan's question um, about kind of bringing this to you know where we're where we're at, especially maybe locally. And you know earlier Jude talked about some things that in our forum that Jude to you are, are really helpful. And I thought that was kind of wonderful, you know, list of things we do that are different than just sort of, you know, grabbing Subway and, you know, eating while you walk. And um, I just wondered maybe if each of you could say maybe one or two things that you think we can do locally to kind of bring this quality of, of tenderness and really listening and the things we've been talking about. If we want to bring that to our centers or to our MI meetings or you know, just our local situation in general, is, is there anything that seems like it's um, you know, something doable that we, we could kind of take away and play with? I find, um, I think uh, the like word of mouth and making a personal uh, connection will be important that here on the local level, I think, uh, you know, calling people or um, contacting people directly with a personal invitation uh, to participate in the conversation um, for me will be uh, the next step because I envision, um, I would love to see these continue on a somewhat regular basis or, or be available in that way here on an ongoing basis. And um, I think that's what, what it calls for is um, just having those of us who have experienced it, sharing that experience with others and inviting them in um, to check it out. Thank you. I think that in meditation, we're encouraged to experience each moment as completely fresh and new. And yet we don't seem to I know I don't seem to be so good at that when I deal with people that I know particularly. So I guess the tip would be um, try to experience people that you know as being completely fresh and new. Yeah, I was thinking about that too in the sense that how everybody here said it was um, scary to start doing this. And, and I want to call out that that it was it's it takes a lot of bravery for to show up for a conversation um, and so all the people here that have shown up that was a brave thing to do um, and there are lots of people that are not feeling that brave about things that are very close to them and so the question of how more people will come in um, is related to that it's related to fear and unfair. And Alex, I appreciated what you're saying because um, in the question about different sides and do we have people coming in from different sides, that sides is kind of this fixed uh, projection onto a real person who has moving and changing 
experiences. I mean, we do each other a disfavor by trying to box each other up. So then you're absolutely right. That's the, the challenge. And I, I know, Katrine, you've been experimenting with how the conversations play into bringing the community in France together. You might want to speak about that a little bit. But I do just want to say uh, thank you. Thank you to everyone who's been here. And Janet and Fred, thank you so much for designing this uh, Sunday gathering and for Jude and Ron and Alex and Catherine and Herb. Er, is that, am I pronouncing your name right? Is it Herb? Er yes. <laughs> Short for Herbert. <laughs> wonderful. So, so wonderful to have the panel here. Next week's Sunday gathering will also feature Janet and Fred for the second part. Um, and this, this second part is um, the uh, practicing of enlightened society and conversation. And this is a, a weaving together, how we weave ourselves into relationship through conversation. And we will practice a topic from the Shambhala Community Conversations Initiative and explore its potential for creating genuine connection. So that, like I said, is going to be part two. Um, I'm also going to be hosting. I'm really quite eager to continue this conversation and um, actually practice some of the ideas that we're talking about here. Um, I'd also like to mention that, as you know, Sunday gatherings are offered free of charge. It does take significant resources to produce the weekly gatherings, and we would welcome your support. So if you, you have appreciated what you hear today, what you've heard today, and are feeling inspired, um, please make a donation to support Sunday gatherings. It would be very warmly welcomed. And just a huge thank you for all of you being here today. Um, we, we hope you can join us again next week and for any of the Shambhala Sunday gatherings for shared practice and the opportunity to connect with our Shambhala culture and teachings. I wish you a, a happy rest of your day, happy evening, happy afternoon, and thank you again for being here. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe to the podcast. We hope you can join us again soon. You can find out more about upcoming live Shambhala Sunday gatherings and our podcast at shambhalaonline.org forward slash Sunday dash gatherings forward slash.